Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe. This is IB2E Radio, Internet Business to Entrepreneur Radio, broadcasting from downtown Richmond, Virginia, United States, in the Romeo time zone. Thanks for listening and downloading our shows. Our mission is how to thrive, not just survive, regardless of your economy, whether it's yours or the world's. It doesn't matter. You're stuck with it. And so how do you make it? Um, before I start, let me just preface, as we always do every day, that all of our program is based upon years of research and an application of, a, of our library of best practices, and known around here as Locutius. And uh, if you recognize the name, yes, Star Trek fans, you are right. It is John Luke Picard's um, Borg name. And as you recall the Borg and why we love it around here so much, uh, the theme of the Borg was resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. And that is what we're doing. We collect all of the relevant knowledge on fast growth for businesses. And that is what you're getting. All of our program is based on that library. It is not static. It is dynamic. It consistently grows. We build on an open source model. And what that means is that uh, we as a company and as an organization have built the kernel, and we consistently have incredibly bright people who come along and say, hey, I've got a little piece of code I'd like to add. And so, therefore, we have software. So, anyway, today's show. Today's show's show number is number 1029774. That's 1029774 if you want to go look it up. The show is called Preventive Maintenance, or I believe what we call um, today's show is Fix or Run to Destruction, and kind of the decision about how do you have put together preventive maintenance schedules and for what, uh, because your choices are if you run to destruction, you can almost guarantee two things. One, it breaks when you don't need it to break uh, at the most inopportune time. And number two, when it breaks, it costs an incredible amount of money. So how do we f- keep things running by being intelligent about how we spend money? And that's really what today is about. And by the way, just as an interesting footnote, is that we missed our our 0-600-hour uh, Romeo time uh, broadcast yesterday because uh, we did not do some preventive maintenance on one of our servers and we had a soundboard go out, and uh, we had to replace that, so we couldn't. We uh, it was, we weren't able to broadcast until 11:30, some five hours later. So it is a great example of a failure on our end to do preventive maintenance because simply it wasn't something we were looking at. Um, that will change. All right. Before we start, let me get into how to join the conversation. You got some options. Number one is you can go to our show page at blogtalkradio.com/ib. 2E Radio, and you can click the chat function there, and you can join. Uh, our staff is monitoring the, the chat room there right now. Number two is you can call in, and our call-in number to be live on the show is 
215-7471. That is 347-215-7471. Or you can tweet me, because we're also monitoring our uh, our Twitter account, at W. Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N. Okay, so where are we? All right, I said that we're in show 6 of 12. And so we, we are in the category of best practices called uh, productive capacity or, in lay terms, operations. Uh, once we've made a decision about what we're going to sell who, then the issue becomes, well, how do we build it, make it, deliver it? And whether you're in a, a manufacturing business and you actually do produce things or you're in a service-based business where it's the experience that you're producing for the customer it does not matter, is that if you don't have a process behind that, it isn't going to work. And it certainly is not going to work profitably because the theme every show, and I'm, I know most of you who are ongoing listeners are going to go, oh, God, he's going to say it again. Well, yes, I am. The goal here, especially if you are a smaller firm, is to become the lowest cost producer in your niche. Now, it doesn't mean price. It means cost. Because if you become the lowest cost producer, then it gives you incredible flexibility on pricing. And so what this whole section about on productive capacity, the, the capacity of the, the, of the firm to produce something, is that you want to do it better, faster, and for less than anybody else that you compete with. And if you compete in a local market, then it's just your com local competitors. If you compete in a global market, then your global competitors. If you do that, then you can win the battle, especially what's required in today's economy. And so what we've done is we've covered, um, you know, the, we, we did the summary, and we've covered the 11 best practices. So where we've been so far, we did an overview of productive capacity. And if you want to check on that show, that's show 936, 598, that's the show number. Um, we talked about building a knowledge network, which is part of your info structure to your firm. And I'd rather use the word info structure than infrastructure. Uh, and the reason for that is pretty simple, is that more and more is that the, our firms are now organized around technology, not an organizational chart. So if you want to talk about building a knowledge network, that is show 939-966. Then we talked about building processes. We started at the beginning and said, okay, we're going to build a process to produce this uh, component. Um, for example, we, um, one of our core competencies as a firm is product development. And so our product development process, how do we onboard new intellectual property? How do we vet it? How do we make sure that it is, in fact, what it says it is? Then how do we determine how to turn that into an assessment or survey so that we can help people identify where their gaps may be? Then how do we build courseware or training materials to close the gap between where people are and where they need to be on the particular function? And then how do we build job aids uh, to ensure that, the, that you can take action? Once you understand how to close the gap, how do you take action on those? Then we get the process around how this is packaged and how it's bundled and how it's assembled and then how it's sold. And so this whole thing, this core process, and so when we talk about becoming a standard, the goal here is whenever you design a process, how do we do that process better, faster, and for less than anybody else and become the standard of how that's done. So if anybody else comes in the industry, they want to go, I don't know what those guys at uh, Applied Knowledge Labs do, but we want to be as good as they are. And that's the show that we talked about on, on process design, and that was show 941-780. And then we said we looked at the other side of that and said, okay, on the process design side, what do you do now long term? 
and that had to do with the whole issue of process reengineering. We called the show ongoing improvement of operations, but it was really about reengineering and to say that now how do we consistently improve what we're doing because um, nothing stays stable. There's always a breakdown, and of course, if you've got competitors, and especially if you're lucky enough to have good competitors, they're constantly pushing you, so what you need to do is you need to stay on top of what's happening. And so how do we constantly un uh, approve the process, improve the processes that we're in? And that was show 433, 251. Then what we jumped over to is we said, okay, once we've done that, we have to have a conversation about with the equipment. How do, we, how do we determine what to buy or do we buy or lease so that in these core processes we have the best equipment that we can afford at the price with the right features? And that was, uh, that was yesterday's show. That was show 103-0889 on production equipment, which now takes us to today on preventive maintenance. And tomorrow's show is going to be um, talking about the issue of inventory management, or I think what we talk about it is cash in the warehouse. And so that kind of sets up the context to where we are. Now, there are really two components here when we talk about preventive maintenance. And uh, but probably where I need to start is with a definition. And all we're talking about here with preventive maintenance is establishing an ongoing process for ensuring equipment is managed through its not through its life cycle and not run to destruction. Let me say that again. An established and ongoing process for ensuring equipment is managed through its life cycle and not run to destruction. Now, the concept of run to destruction basically says, um, and if I put it in car terms, I, I drive it until it dies. Now, if you've got yourself a beater, you put maybe uh, three or $400 into it, it's not worth fixing, um, then maybe you run that to destruction, you throw it away, because it's actually cheaper to go out and buy another $1,000 car. And those are some of the, by the way, some of the decisions that we're going to make on preventive maintenance, because preventive maintenance is much the same way, is determining what you're going to fix and when you're going to fix it, because not everything is going to be in a PM schedule, and that there's a couple ways of taking a look at that schedule. So that's our definition, and what, and what we're going to look at here with preventive maintenance is two things. We're going to look at, we're going to take a look at a maintenance schedule and, and determining what should be in that schedule. And then the other thing we're going to take a look at is the, is the impact of, the, of production downtime. Uh, how much downtime do you have, which is kind of the other way of looking at it. So how do you put together a maintenance schedule? Many times you work from the negative saying, let's take a look at our last year's worth of production runs. When did we have costly breakdowns when we couldn't afford it? And we take a look at those functions first and say, gee, if that hadn't happened, it would, it would have, it, we would have saved this amount of money. Odds are, when you look at those dollars, uh, what you would have saved is far less than uh, preventive maintenance schedule. But I get ahead of myself. So that, those are the issues. Um, so first of all, let's start with the concept of preventive maintenance costly. Um, and depending upon how your accounting systems work within your firm, that in fact could be true. Because if your company is not in, at a, a level of maturation where you have engaged in some sort of activity-based costing, in other words, you look at your core processes, and what you've done is each step you've assigned an accounting code to. Now, uh, I don't want to get into that because we're actually going to, in our next series, we're going to talk about what are the core processes to any firm. We are going to get into this. But let me just spend a, a couple minutes with it, and that is, 
most organizations, um, until they get to a certain size, and my guess is that certain sizes, someplace around 50 million, engage, what, engage in what we call aggregate costing. And so when you take a look at whether you're profitable, it's all in the aggregate. In other words, we take all the business that we've done, all the clients we've done, and after we've paid all the bills, do we have any money left? Now, that type of accounting system works very well for what it's designed to do. And what it's designed to do is to inform shareholders of the status of the company. It's designed to inform uh, your creditors of how well you're doing if you're going to go to the bank and get a loan. It's there to inform the IRS of, of, what, of what share of Caesars is Caesars. Um, what it doesn't tell you, on the other hand, is, well, which client is more profitable or which product line is more profitable? So when you get to the point when you're going, you know, we know we are making money, but if you said, how do we make more money, I'm not really sure how that happens. That's a key indicator that what you need to do is some sort of activity-based costing to where you've mapped out a process, which we talked about uh, in the Becoming the Standard show uh, 941780. Uh, we talked about how to map that out. And now you have to sign accounting codes to that so that each step of the way, there is some dollars burden to it. So when you do a production run for a client, you can say, okay, that run cost us X dollars. This is what we got paid. So this is, our, this is the cost per unit, or this is our margin on that run, or this is the profitability of that customer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You need those numbers to begin to play with this preventive maintenance because the questions you've got to ask about where do I have preventive maintenance and where, do I, uh, where am I willing to risk uh, production downtime or where am I really willing to go with uh, run to destruction is that I need to know what is the cost of reliability or unreliability. And so when I look at a core process, uh, something that is, and again for us it's product development, uh, we can't afford very much downtime because our schedules are pretty tight. And most of our contracts have performance clauses in them. And so if we begin to slip, it costs us money. Not only does it not make the customer very happy with this and perhaps affect the repeat business, but it affects what we get paid. And so by looking at those core processes, we can say, you know what, if we get a slippage of a week, it costs us $6. All right? The second thing you want to take a look at is the cost of replacement because one of the things that you, we know for certain is that if you kind of – if you if you look at corrective um, replacement cost, in other words, I run it until it breaks, here's what we know. The longer you run it, the more it costs. And so there is, a, there is some, just visualize in your head, some graph, some line that starts very low and goes very high. And what happens with this line is that at some point, it becomes too expensive to run it any further. An example to give you is on your car. Any of you that have had uh, had disc brakes and having a problem with your brakes, is that you can tell that the brakes are getting a little spongy and it takes more pressure to to push down to make the car stop. Uh, but it's still okay. However, when you begin to hear that metal sound, the second you begin to hear it, you really need to take the car in and have it worked on because what happens if you begin to run it any further is that you scour the discs. If you scour the disk, at the minimum, you're going to have your rotors returned, and, the, and returning a rotor is about $100. So here's what you've done is that by not replacing a $30 brake pad, you've run it to its very end of its life, which is cool. You get the most out of that. But if you run it much further, then you scour the disk, and instead of it being a $30 brake pad, now that one, that one um, 
assembly area, that one wheel area, has now gone from 30 to 130 dollars because you run it too long. Okay, um, you want to take a look at decreased system downtime. And when I looked at decreased system downtime, again that gets into what is the impact in the past of when it went down. Like yesterday, it didn't cost us very much because we do not have any paid advertisers for our program on, programming on purpose. But basically, I would have had to, we would as a company would have had to give back um, our advertiser dollars from yesterday's um, inability to get up at 6 as opposed to having the system operating at about 11 o'clock in the morning. And so I want to take a look at the cost of that. And then the last one, and one that people really neglect, is what's the impact on inventory? which we're going to talk about tomorrow. But one of the things that you want to shoot for in inventory is running as close as you can to a just-in-time system, which means you have what you have in the warehouse is exactly what you need, and then you pull it exactly when you need it because most of the time, under most relationships that you have with your suppliers, is that they don't give you inventory um, to hold and then you get to pay them when you use it, kind of like uh, inventory on the floor. Like if you sell, um, if you sell cars, you sell motorcycles, you sell um, uh, ATVs, uh, and those type of deals, many times the manufacturer will finance that for you and then put it on the floor and then you pay them when you sell the vehicle. Not in parts. You buy parts with cash. And so we view this as a vault of money in the back room. And if you're not pulling that stuff, that is sitting there. And on top of it, as most of you know, when it becomes tax time, um, you, have to t you have to take a look at the taxes set up there and pay taxes on it. And so if you don't have a preventive maintenance schedule, but you can't afford failure, you have to maintain more parts. And those dollars are, in many cases, the most expensive dollars to have. And so I want to take a look at that and say, all right, as I look at everything, what is mission sensitive? Okay, what has a direct impact on production or on cash flow? And those are the things that I want to put into a a um, maintenance schedule. All right, so we're going to deal with maintenance schedule here, and we're going to be talking about the the the, the couple of things that you need to take a look at. And there's really three uh, three types of cost, and based upon those costs, you can come up with a, a, a fairly accurate number. But before I do that. Let me just talk about here, take a, a second or two to talk about my favorite organization, the National Association of Management Consultants, of which um, I've been honored to be selected as the executive director. Uh, Naomic has three populations, three groups of people that uh, are our customers. One are all of the professional consultant trainers and coaches out there who are listening to our shows and looking for ideas about how to improve your consulting, training, or coaching businesses. And what Naomi is, is Naomi, all the other organizations, whether you, and I won't name them by name, but if you look at the, the other professional trade associations, they're kind of like banks. In other words, uh, yeah, they'll take your money, and yes, they'll do a few things for you, but uh, it's your money, and, and basically you, you are just a customer. Uh, Naomi is different. We're kind of like a credit union in that uh, you own part of it, and we are run by the members, and we're somewhat owned by the members. And so, for example, yeah, if you have intellectual property, if you're working as a consultant, trainer, or coach, and you, have an, and you have some pretty good stuff that your clients like, and you're thinking, gee, you know, if I could sell this wider, I could create a fairly nice uh, piece of cash flow, a nice annuity uh, for my own business. Now, because the organization to come and talk to, because the others, they're not interested in that. They want you to buy their stuff. They, they want to sell their stuff to you, or they want you to buy their stuff. 
Um, yeah, we, we've got some of that here. But you know what? Most of the stuff that we sell is your stuff. And so think about it. You can join an organization that produces stuff that wants you to buy theirs, or you can join an organization that um, will sell your stuff. Um, you choose. Uh, the second group of people that that we work with and we service are the, the larger organizations who are looking to support the growth of industry. Um, as as we as we talked about yesterday, um, the, the United States is becoming much more of a free agent nation. And that part of that demand is going to be for more and more entrepreneurs. So if you are an expert uh, at something and you are deciding that uh, either you don't have a job now or um, this job isn't going to last very long or this job just basically blows, but I know a lot, I'd like to figure out how to, um, uh, how to go out into the market and sell my expertise, then we're an organization that you should be talking to because uh, we can help you make your own job. So whether you're a lifestyle entrepreneur and you just want to uh, create a job for yourself that pays better than the last one and you have some control of your work life or you're interested in starting an organization, uh, we're the people to talk to because we are you. I, by myself, have over 30 years in the industry. And I, I'm kind of the norm. When I take a look at some of the people in the executive team and people that who are, lead some of the advisory groups, um, there's an incredible amount of experience here to help you with. Okay, so Naomi, um, the World Wide Web, naomc.org. All righty, now let's take a look at uh, the finish up on preventive maintenance and let's take a look at basically the three cost curves. All right, first one we talked about was corrective replacement. And so I'll view that over time, starting at zero and going up, and it begins to ramp up in a fairly steep line. In other words, if you don't fix it, the longer you go without fixing it, it becomes far more expensive because not only does that part fail, but typically it has a cascade effect on other parts of the system. Okay? Now, the preventive replacement cost is the, is the next one. And, and what that is is that you're taking a look at what is the cost over time when you take the total aggregate? Okay, so if you replace if you replace it early and you haven't got the full service wear out of that, um, the full time, um, that becomes very very expensive. So it'd be like, all right, every week we're going to replace the brakes on the car. Um, yeah, it would make the the brakes awesome and it would never go bad, but uh, probably expensive. So view that line, okay? View that line as the as the line that starts very very high in the beginning and then over time slopes down. Now most of you who've played with graphs know know where I'm going for where I'm going to with this is that those two lines will then cross each other, and that becomes where they cross is not exactly the point, but that becomes the point of what we call the minimum cost of replacement, and that you can then establish to say okay for that particular part. What we can do is we can run two months, three months, six months, eight months, but some period of time, and that's when we should replace it. And so one way that I can do that is that I can look at the loss of reliability, compute the minimum cost of replacement by looking at where the corrective replacement cost line, graph line, and the math on this is simple, and if you want, send me an email and I'll give you the math, and the preventive replacement cost, where those two, cro two lines cross, you're basically within the zone of where is the minimum place, where is the best place, the optimal place to make those repairs. And so that I can take a look at that and say, okay, for this a piece of equipment here, we want to run this for 1,000 hours. We want to run it for six months, or we want to run it for 
uh, like a printer, 10,000 copies. Okay. That's one way of doing it, and you can kind of establish it. And I think you need to. The other way of doing this is take a look at schedule slack time. Is that every every company, every business has a natural frequency to it uh, when you're busy and not busy. Because what you also want to take into account is, well, when can I afford to take the machinery down? When can I afford to service that? When can I afford to replace it? And so I need to schedule that in because what happens if the right time the absolute right time to work on this particular equipment and take it offline or repair it happens right in the middle of my of my biggest time period or my period of, of largest demand on it. And it, trust me, if you only use the first one, that loss of reliability, um, that's what you that's what you're going to come up with. Is it'll be oh we can't take it down then. Well then let's take a look at our our slack time and say all right when is our scheduled slack? Where's the natural frequency in the business now? Um, and this is a judgment call, obviously, but if you find that uh, the, the best point to take it down is you know, too early by a couple weeks, then you might be able to say, say, okay, I know, even though the best time to do it was now, we're going to run an extra 100 hours because if we run an extra 100 hours, we're going to get into our uh, downtime and we can afford to take it down. On the other hand, if you say, well, look, we'd have to almost double its runtime in order to get it there, then maybe what we need to do is we need to take it offline a little earlier. Either way, it could, it could drive the cost up. But preventive maintenance, I mean, you're not there to do preventive maintenance. It's not the goal of the organization. The goal of the organization produces things. Preventive maintenance is to make sure that is that you can produce what you said you can produce when you have obligated to produce it and that you can do it in a cost-effective way. And all preventive maintenance does is make sure that, in fact, you can pull that off. So those are the two things, as I kind of look at the summarize here, is that you want to, you want to compute when is the predictable loss of reliability. And that is to take a look at preventive replacement costs, which is a line that goes down over time. And I want to take a look at corrective replacement costs, which is a line that goes up over time. And where those two join, I'm kind of in the zone of where I need to be. So now I have an idea of loss of reliability. Then I want to take a look at my schedule, slack time on my own calendar to say, okay, how does that, this time, this number for this piece of equipment affect what we know about our schedule and make a decision of where I want to go earlier or later. This then then drives some inventory issues because do we put the parts into inventory? Well, if we're going to run longer, and I don't want to get into too, step too much on tomorrow's show, but if you're going to run longer, if you decide that because of the schedule slack time, you're going to have to, your loss of reliability happens too soon, and you're going to have to run longer than you had planned, then you might want to put parts into inventory because you want to plan for, okay, so what we're saying is that this could break at the worst possible time. If that's the case, then at least what we can do is we can have the parts on hand so we can fix it immediately. On the other hand, um, and so that you can make some decisions on inventory. On the other hand, if you're going to do it earlier, you're going to say, let's, just, let's not put anything in inventory, and what we'll do is we'll just order it. And so that is, that's a synopsis of preventive maintenance. I don't want to make more of it than it is if you're in the production business. Um, this is probably pretty important to you. And if you haven't done it, then more than likely you haven't been in business for a long period of time or you're not that large because you will do it. 
because the first failure of your company, uh, when you go down and you cost your business because stuff doesn't work, you will have a preventive maintenance system uh, operating in the firm. I'll talk a little bit about tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to talk about cash in the back room, and that is the whole idea of inventory management and just-in-time and turns, uh, because if you stock a lot of supplies, there is money, cash in that back room. And you, I, I tell you, is that the one place I don't want my money tied up is in inventory and supplies and things of that nature that I, I really don't need to use as a business. So other than that, uh, what I want to say to you is have yourself a great business day. Um, that's interesting. My chat room closed. I don't wonder why that happened. Well, nobody stopped by. Let me check out a tweet. See you here if anybody has tweeted us. Uh, I did have one question here, and that is how critical, uh, thanks for the tweet, how critical is the is this in a service business? And, and I would say that uh, it's incredibly critical in the service business because more than likely the, the preventive maintenance issue is going to have to do hardware and software. Uh, because most of us are uh, running most of our services online where we have the customer information and we're managing um, that work process that way. Uh, so I'll tell you what, I'll pick that up on tomorrow's show. So thanks for stopping by, and I wish all of you wealth and prosperity. And please, don't think about just surviving this economy. Think about thriving. And think about us. We are your resource to do that. You take care, and have a great business day.